from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, chock full radio program or podcast recorded just just a few hours before you're hearing it in most places. Of course, you could be hearing it 14,000 years from now. <laughs> but we won't last that long, so don't worry about it. But now, ladies and gentlemen, news of Nice Corp. Nice people. Doing nice things. Rupert Murdoch, 87 years old, is recovering from a serious back injury, according to The Hollywood Reporter. More than a month after a no-show at a party to thank firefighters for saving his Los Angeles vineyard from a brush fire, he's largely AWOL from 21st Century Fox. God, has he missed. As he recovers from a serious back injury suffered in January on his son Lachlan's yacht. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a first-world injury. think he's favoring James now. Emails, phone calls, and text messages Murdoch has been sending while recuperating from the compression fracture, ow, to his back are fewer and further between in recent weeks, worrying friends and employees. So I better get worried. Some are even wondering if he might be testing retirement following the um, announcement late last year of his plan to sell Fox, most of the Fox assets, to Disney. Fox to the to the mouse. While he may not be as active as usual, he's uh, reported largely MIA at Fox News, for example. Sources say he has taken meetings at home recently. And in early this month, he hosted a cocktail party at his estate. I was not invited? Oh, for board members of both Fox and Nice Corp. I'm doing great, he tells The Hollywood Reporter in an email via a representative. That's hands off. I appreciate if anyone was worried about me, but they shouldn't be. I've been busy with meetings at home, but I'm looking forward to being back in the office in a couple of weeks. I said back because I hurt my back. Still, there's a concern among shareholders and employees that plans for a new Fox post-Disney could suffer without Murdoch's full attention. I know I would. And, ladies and gentlemen, it's not just bees. Pesticides from farms and cane fields washing into Queensland's six main river systems in Australia could seriously damage the state's $62 million prawn industry, according to new research. Pesticide runoff from farms was affecting crustaceans' nervous systems. I thought they were nervous enough. And in laboratory tests from 2017, tiger prawn larvae exposed to the level of pesticides found in the waterways would die. Adult prawns subjected to rigorous testing showed no evidence of pesticide contamination. The research also found that if subsequent field tests backed up the study's findings, there could be a major impact on Queensland's multi-million dollar prawn industry and Australia's $1 billion, sorry, $770 million in American money, aquaculture industry. The study was published in the February 2018 edition, February 2018 edition of the journal ecotoxicology, and environmental safety. The lead researcher says it was there was one piece of evidence that pesticides from farms were affecting crustaceans. Now the research must be tested on larvae in the rivers where pesticide levels vary with stream flow. It seems to be preventing them from eating, says the researcher. Well, there's your, there's your fad, new fad diet right there. Neon, the Neonic diet. Hello, welcome to the show. 
From the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, Santa Monica, California, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, this is what, according to the good book, they gave us. Bird populations across the French countryside have fallen by a third over the last decade and a half, researchers have told Agence Francaise. Dozens of species have seen their numbers, if, if species can see their numbers, decline in some cases by two-thirds. Scientists said in a pair of studies, one national in scope, the other covering a large agricultural region in central France. The situation, says a conservation biologist at France's National Museum of Natural History, is catastrophic. That's what Dominion gets you. Quote, our countryside is in the process of becoming a veritable desert, said Benoit Fontaine, the uh, co-author of one of the studies. Common white throat, the ortolan bunting, they're good eating. The Eurasian skylark and other once ubiquitous species have all fallen off by at least a third, according to a detailed annual census initiated at the start of the century. A migratory songbird, the meadow pipit, has declined by nearly 70%. The museum described the pace and extent of the wipeout as, quote, a level approaching an environmental catastrophe, unquote. Well, it's approaching it. When you get there, let me give me a call. The primary culprit, researchers speculate, is the intensive use of, uh-oh, pesticides on vast tracts of monoculture crops, especially wheat and corn. The problem is not that birds are being poisoned, but that the insects on which they depend for food have disappeared. Unattended consequences? Quote, there are hardly any insects left. That's the number one problem, says an ecologist at the Center for Biological Studies. Recent research, he says, has uncovered similar trends across Europe. You'll have to come here for the insects, bub. Uh, estimating that flying insects have declined by 80% and bird populations dropped by more than 400 million in 30 years. That's your dominion right there. Despite a government plan to cut pesticide use in half by 2020, sales in France have, in fact, climbed steadily. What is really alarming is that all the birds in an agricultural setting are declining at the same speed, even generalist birds, which tend to thrive in other settings, such as woodland. That shows the overall quality of the agricultural ecosystem is deteriorating, says the researchers. The die-off pace, by the way, in case you're wondering, picked up pace in 2016 and 2017. Drivers of the drop in bird population extend beyond the depletion of their main food source, according to the scientists. Shrinking woodlands, the absence of the once common practice of letting fields lie fallow, and especially the rapidly expansion, the rapid expansion of mono crops, just growing one thing on a vast swath of land, have each played a role. If the situation is not yet reversible, all the actors in the agriculture sector must work together to change their practices, said Fontaine. You're not going to get any actors I know to work in the agricultural sector. But hey, it's Dominion. They gave it to us. We're using it. Next time, tell the birds to get Dominion. But now, news of our friend the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, safe, too cheap to meet. Well, first, let's check in on Fukushima. How they're doing over there. How they doing in Fuk? Ah, 
how, how the Fook people doing? A Japanese district court this week ordered the operator of the crippled Fook plant to pay $5.7 million in damages to evacuees from the disaster. This is the seventh such decision against TEPCO, the Tokyo Electric Power Company. In the lawsuit, 216 plaintiffs, most of whom evacuated from areas within 30 kilometers of the uh, plant that went, <laughs> shot a total of, uh, sought a total of about uh, twice as much money in compensation from TEPCO. 30 similar lawsuits have been filed nationwide by evacuees and victims seeking damages from either TEPCO or both TEPCO and Japan. The plaintiffs include bereaved family members of the evacuees. They argued the operator, that is to say TEPCO, could have foreseen the accident caused by the massive tsunami because of the government's 2002 long-term assessment of major quakes. They demanded damages for their, quote, loss of hometown. TEPCO said it couldn't have predicted the tsunami. No way! In another court ruling involving TEPCO this week, a high court in the northeastern prefecture rescinded part of an earlier decision and said, no, TEPCO should clean up farmland contaminated by radiation following the disaster. It's clear TEPCO should conduct the decontamination work, said the judge, because they've the cleanup work at Fook has been so good so far with the salt, with the uh, ice wall and everything. Only 30% of businesses have resumed operation in areas within a 30-kilometer radius of Fook Number 1, or in districts previously marked as evacuation zones. There are few residents, says a representative of the Fukushima Federation of Societies of Commerce and Industry. There are few residents, and along with anxiety over whether or not business will be able to turn a profit, it's also hard to secure young workers. Come for the, radi- come for the radiation, stay for the jobs. Four nuclear waste canisters with a potentially defective design have been, you know, loaded with spent fuel and buried in a concrete monolith yards from the beach. Down south of here at the shuttered San Onofre nuclear generating station in Southern California, Southern California Edison is moving tons of waste from the reactors that they shut down to the two spent fuel pools into a dry storage system made by a company called Holtec. As in holding technology, get it? Experts say dry storage is far safer than wet storage. Sounds like it to me, you know, just just the words. And Edison claims to transfer all of their waste to this system by 2019. Since there's no federal repository yet, the nuclear waste is, quote, stranded on site, unquote. Edison was preparing to load a canister with spent fuel last month when it discovered a loose bolt inside about four inches long and half-inch thick. That's according to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. The bolt secures a shim support, which helps center the basket that actually holds the waste. The shim also allows helium to flow around the waste to keep it cool. You don't want it getting hot. Holtec notified other U.S. reactors that received the newly designed canisters. Edison alerted the company and the NRC. Holtec is conducting, quote, internal root cause evaluation to determine what caused the loose piece in the new design. They didn't return requests for comment. None of the affected power plants are actively loading these canisters, pending Holtec's extent of condition and root cause analyses, says uh, spokesman for the NRC. When asked if there's any urgency to examine the canisters that have already been placed in dry storage near the beach, the NRC spokesperson said, we're waiting for the analyses to be completed. 
The canisters are designed to withstand more heat than the fuel is emitting. That is to say, if the, uh, the canisters work. Loading resumed on March 15th, but only using canisters with the original design. 30 of those going down there, as well as 43 with the new shim basket design. The new design remains a concern. Anytime there's a defect in the manufacturing of an important component, we are concerned, says the spokesman for the NRC. It's hard to say how a fairly recent design change to a cask used at probably the highest profile nuclear site undergoing decommissioning in the nation would have this problem, says Dave Lockman of the Nuclear Safety Project for the Union of Concerned Scientists. After all, he says, given the scrutiny San Onofre has received, everyone is bringing their A-game. When their A-game fails to permit a new cask to be used, it certainly weakens the claims that spent fuel can be safely stored in the community for decades. The casks, he continues, are supposedly designed to withstand being dropped 30 feet onto a metal spike, being struck by a speeding locomotive, being submerged in a pool of burning fuel oil, and such. Sounds like Superman. And yet this cask could not withstand gravity. San Onofre's history cast this in a darker light. He said it was shut down prematurely because replacement steam generators failed because of a new design that had not been properly evaluated. And, as if it's an epidemic, Dateline Vernon, Vernon, Vermont, Entergy's expedited move of spent fuel from the Vermont Yankee spent fuel pool, everybody into the spent fuel pool, into steel concrete and steel storage transportation casks. Well, that plan has come to a halt over concerns about potential problems with those casks. 43 of 58 have already been loaded and stored on the fuel storage pads. 15 remain to be loaded by the end of this year as a precondition of the planned sale of Vermont Yankee to a company that's going to decommission it. But shifting of the fuel stopped earlier this month when plant officials became aware of loose bolts on Holtec casks, like the ones discovered at San Onofre. The bolts, two of them, have been found to have loosened, one at the manufacturing facility, another at a nuclear plant, according to the NRC. He said no problems have been found with any bolts at Vermont Yankee. But Energy had called for the stand-down while they gather information out of an abundance of caution. The discovery led to the subsequent identification of a bolt in a cask at the fabrication facility. NRC inspected the plant last week. Clean, cheap, too bolted to meter, our friend the atom. So, ladies and gentlemen, you may not have actually heard a lot about this on uh, any of the so-called news this week. But uh, we're we're marking the 15th anniversary of the United States invasion of Iraq. Uh, they marked it in Iraq by walking a cake the entire length of the country. So they fi- it finally is a cakewalk, as uh, Kenneth Edel- Edelman p- predicted way back before the war. Um, let's just review, shall we? some of the what we were told back then. This is by Richard Pearl, who was uh, on the Defense Policy Advisory Board for the Bush administration. Quote, even if we cannot prove to the standard that we enjoy in our own civil society that they are involved, we do know, for example, that Saddam Hussein has ties to Osama bin Laden. That can be documented. In 
2002, Pearl said of the war to come, it isn't going to be over in 24 hours, but it isn't going to be months either. He claimed the post-invasion reconstruction in Iraq would be self-financing, as did Paul Wolfowitz. Well, you can't get a better batting average for being wrong. Kenneth Edelman, who wrote a uh, piece for the Washington Post called Cakewalk in Iraq, said, I believe demolishing Hussein's military power and liberating Iraq would be a cakewalk. Let me give simple, responsible reasons. One, it was a cakewalk last time, meaning the Gulf War in the early 90s. Two, they've become much weaker. Three, we've become much stronger. And four, now we're playing for keeps. During uh, the 1991 Gulf War, it was a genuine coalition of American, European, and Arab armies that expelled Saddam from Kuwait. In early March of 2003, General Richard Myers, then the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, anticipated a short, short conflict. Vice President Cheney said the war would go relatively quickly and the American troops would be greeted as liberators. When asked if the fighting might prove to be long, costly, and bloody, quote, well, I don't think it's likely to unfold that way. Pearl a defense policy board member, as I said, predicted on the eve of the war it would last no longer than three weeks, adding, and there is a good chance it will be less than that. He declared, support for Saddam, including within his military organization, will collapse at the first whiff of gunpowder. And David Frum, the former Axis of Evil White House speechwriter, now brought back to life as a pundit, wrote that, quote, the Iraq fight itself is probably going to go very, very fast. The shooting should be over within just a very few days from when it starts. Those recollections from Hendrik Hertzberg in The New Yorker back in 2006. At which point, Kenneth Edelman was already frustrated with the progress of the war long before President Obama pulled out most U.S. troops. Quote, I'm ex- this is in 2006. I'm extremely disappointed by the outcome in Iraq because I just presumed that what I considered to be the most competent national security team since Truman was indeed going to be competent. They turned out to be, he's referring to the Bush administration, among the most incompetent teams in the post-war era. Not only did each of them individually have enormous flaws, but together they were deadly dysfunctional, unquote. He believes he believed in 2006 neoconservatism itself, what he defines as the idea of a tough foreign policy on behalf of morality. The idea of using our power for moral good in the world is dead, at least for a generation. After Iraq, he says, it's not going to sell. The policy can be absolutely right and noble, beneficial, but if you can't execute it, it's useless, he says. Just useless. I guess that's what I would have said, that Bush's arguments are absolutely right. But you know what? You just have to put them in the drawer marked can't do, unquote, Kenneth Cakewalk Edelman in 2006. But that was before John Bolton joined the Trump administration. It was, looking back on our 15-year adventure, at least a trillion-dollar bargain.
from Santa Monica, the home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer. This is the show. And now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. D.C. Councilman, Washington, D.C. Councilman Trayon White Sr. filmed a brief video while he was driving through the snow last week in Washington. Man, it just started snowing out of nowhere this morning, man, he said in the 20-second clip, first reported by the Washington Post. Y'all better pay attention to this climate control, man, this climate manipulation. The D.C. keeps talking about we're a resilient city, and that's a model based off the Rothschilds controlling the climate to create natural disasters that can pay for to own the cities, man. Be careful, unquote. When the Washington Post asked White Sr. about the anti-Semitic connotation of his comments, he seemed unrepentant telling the paper via text, the video says what it says. But later, as pressure mounted, he issued an apology. I really do apologize. I work very closely with the Jewish community and never want to offend anyone, especially with anti-Semitic remarks. San Francisco Supervisor Aaron Peskin apologized this week for lambasting Fire Chief Joanne Hayes-White while her crews poured water on a burning building in North Beach. While I reserve the right to raise questions as more information comes out, it was inappropriate to raise them on the scene. Peskin said in a statement, he had blasted the chief Saturday night as they both stood in front of a burning residential commercial building at Union and Columbus in the commercial heart of Peskin's district. He said the fire department had been slow to pour water on the structure. Well, maybe it wasn't that kind of a... And that the chief had not answered his phone calls shortly after the fire started. His remarks jolted City Hall and angered officials. Some chastised the supervisor for what they said was outlandish behavior. He departed for Mexico amid the fallout. Mexico? They're killing us. He retreated from his statements on Tuesday. I apologize to Chief Hayes White, and I intend to personally convey this to her as soon as I return from the spring legislative recess. Adios. Dateline Summers, Connecticut, a Connecticut high school principal, has apologized for plagiarizing a letter he sent to parents. Summers High School principal Gary Cotson said his letter sent to parents last week was predominantly copied from another high school. The letter described plans to allow students to leave class for the national school walkout on gun violence. The superintendent said the system learned the letter was copied and issued a reprimand and other disciplinary sanctions. Neither Kotzen nor the uh, superintendent responded to requests for comment. Dayline Buffalo, home of the Buffaloes. The Catholic Diocese of Buffalo has released a video addressed to the western New York community in response to the recent revelations of priests sexually abusing minors. Bishop Richard Malone issued a video message offering his personal apology to victims and asking any victims who haven't sought help to contact law enforcement and the victim assistance coordinator at the diocese. He concluded his message by asking the community to support the good priests of the diocese and asking everyone to pray for victims and the church. Oh, incidentally, Bishop Malone is in Albany where he's reported to be lobbying against the proposed Child Victims Act, which would extend the statute of limitations for sexual abuse victims. Pray for his lobbying efforts, too, won't you? During an interview with CNN's Anderson Cooper, who didn't giggle, former Playboy model Karen McDougal apologized when asked what she would say to First Lady Melania Trump if she had this chance to speak now to her. What can you say except I'm sorry, McDougal said. I'm sorry, I wouldn't want it done to me. McDougal had had an affair, so she says, with Donald Trump when he was married to Melania Trump. When I look back where I was back then, I know it's wrong, she said, fighting back the tears. I'm really sorry for that. I know it's a wrong thing to do. Chicago Tribune editorial cartoonist Scott Stantis apologized on Thursday for the purchase of 5,000 fake Twitter followers, hoping to inflate the appearance of his social media profile. 
The purchase was made on his behalf three years ago, according to Chicago Tribune publisher and editor-in-chief. This was done without the Chicago Tribune's knowledge and created a breach of trust with our readers, he wrote. Stantis deleted his at Stantis account, which had more than 21,000 followers, and issued a public apology from a new account saying he had tightened control over my new Twitter feed. He told Tribune management he didn't know about the fake followers until recent days. This reported by the Chicago Sun-Times. It's so good to have two newspapers in one town. Deadline Cleveland University Hospitals reached out to patients whose eggs and embryos have been lost to a storage tank malfunction, offering apologies, but no reason for the mishap. It just got warm in there. In a letter to patients obtained by WKYC, a television station in Cleveland, Dr. Daniel Simon, the hospital's chief academic officer, apologized to patients and told them the investigation into the storage tank breakdown is ongoing. We're still completing the root cause analysis, he wrote, echoing what we heard about the... uh, the bolt and the shim. Remember that? Uh, a bolt and the shim walk into a bar. Haven't these families been through enough? It's just inappropriate to wage a PR campaign like this, says an attorney representing several patients who lost eggs and embryos following the tank's temperature drop. During the weekend of March 3 and 4, a breakdown inside the storage tank caused thousands of eggs and embryos belonging to hundreds of patients to be destroyed. The tank used nitrogen to keep the eggs and embryos frozen for future implantation. But the nitrogen is good now. Mark Zuckerberg apologized. I'm really sorry that this happened, referring to the Cambridge Analytica firm using data taken from Facebook by supposedly an academic researcher for uh, use in their politicking on behalf of Donald Trump in 2016. Zuckerberg wrote the company made mistakes and outlined how it has changed its policies to make sure that user data is protected. I wish we'd taken those steps earlier, Zuckerberg said on CNN. That is probably the biggest mistake that we made here. On the other hand, Sheryl Sandberg, chief operating officer of Facebook, apologized for the same thing during an interview on CNBC, says the fallout is likely to bring greater regulation for the social media giant. Mark has said it's not a question of of if regulation, it's a question of what type. She said we're open to regulation. We work with lawmakers all over the world. Unquote. Yeah, but this isn't lobbying, darling. Well, maybe it is. Facebook is facing questions from lawmakers on both sides of the Atlantic after the Cambridge Analytica story broke. We know that this is an issue of trust. We know that this is a critical moment for our company, for the service we provide. Sandberg said, we're going to do everything we can. We don't look at these trade-offs like, oh, it's going to hurt our business in the long run and in the immediate term. She said, people's trust is the most important thing we have, and that is how we make those decisions. Sometimes, she said, and I would say certainly this past week, we speak too slowly, Sandberg said. If I could live this past week again, I would definitely have had Mark and myself out speaking faster. No, she said earlier, but we were trying to get to the bottom of this. We'll get to the bottom of this, ladies and gentlemen. The Apologies of the Week, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. A note from our trades from Advertising Age. Carolyn Everson, Vice President of Global Marketing Solutions at Facebook, called the company's top advertisers the day after the company first acknowledged the harvesting of data from some 50 million Facebook users by Cambridge Analytica. She didn't call the user. She didn't call you. She called the company's top advertisers. On Monday, she sent an email to a wider circle, 
not of users, of advertisers. You getting it yet? Mozilla and Pep Boys, they're still Pep Boys, said they're pulling out of spending on Facebook ads because of its apparent carelessness with data. Elon Musk deleted the SpaceX and Tesla Facebook accounts. The Client Council is whom Carolyn Everson spoke to first. And this from Motherboard, you have to proceed on the assumption that the information has been extracted from you. Quoting Woodrow Hartzog, author of Privacy's Blueprint, The Battle to Control the Design of New Technologies. Many of the quizzes, games, personality tests, and third-party apps Facebook allowed on its platform several years ago were not really games at all. They were fronts for data mining. Facebook could ban them from the platform, but many apps that were operating between 2011 and 2015 have already gone out of business. Many of them likely sold your data to data brokers who compile dossiers about people that can be used by advertisers. Many data brokers are Facebook marketing partners that allow advertisers to target people based on the data they've compiled. If you've unliked all the pages you used to like, deleted all your photos and status updates, and otherwise tried to get rid of much of your information on Facebook, data brokers could have obtained that historical data and can re-import it into the platform to continue to target you. And Facebook can't police the use of this data elsewhere on the Internet. It's great Facebook is now trying to take steps from our data being misused, writes Jason Kobler in Motherboard, but it's too late. So a lot of news about Facebook this week, much of it confusing to those of us who either do or don't use the service. And I think it's uh, time to shed maybe a little more light than heat on the subject with our guest, who I think has his own heat sink to get rid of some of the heat. Uh, An occasional visitor to this program, welcome back, Ralph, the talking computer. Hi, Harry. Good to be back. Well, it's good to have you back. You, it, it's been a while. Well, I did have to take some, let's call it, mm-hmm. executive time off. <laughs> it's kind of a Trumpian usage. What, what uh, was, was there a problem? I had an operating system upgrade installed automatically, mm. and it yeah. oh. made some of my programs unworkable. Ooh. So, in mm. effect, yeah. I had to go ahead and reboot myself. Oh. I hear that's utterly painful. Well, glad it all worked out. Um, you've come here today to, as I say, shed some light on this whole Facebook situation. Uh, exactly how do you propose to do that? Harry, mm-hmm. we've heard a lot this week about Facebook's terms of service, yes. or TOS, for those who can't handle entire words. <laughs> but there's a problem which is well understood to those in the tech world, yes. including most of us in the machine community. Well, I'm sure it's a wonderful community to be part of, but w- what is the problem, Ralph? Simply, mm-hmm. humans can't read terms of service. Uh, well, speaking for myself, I know that uh, that's true, but uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure lawyers do and can. Okay, I should have said non-lawyer humans. Mm. So sue me. Thanks, but my lawyer is working on the Stormy Daniels case. So uh, how do you propose to uh, help us through this problem of us not reading the terms of service? Well, with my prodigious ability to absorb and transmit data in a cogent and comprehensible manner, Mm -hmm. I'm going to read the more important terms of service to you and your audience. Mm. In my inimitable 
Styly. Well, as long as it's not in a rub-a-dub, Styly. Do you, speaking of which, do you want any, any music as the background for this? Yes. Something mesmerizing and yet mildly disturbing, please. Okay, coming right up. As Ralph the Talking Computer reads, The Facebook Terms of Service. 1. You grant us a non-exclusive, transferable, sub-licensable, royalty-free, worldwide license to use any IP content that you post on or in connection with Facebook IP license. This IP license ends when you delete your IP content or your account, unless your content has been shared with others, and they have not deleted it. 2. When you delete IP content, it is deleted in a manner similar to emptying the recycle bin on a computer. However, you understand that removed content may persist in backup copies for a reasonable period of time, but will not be available to others. 3. When you use an application, the application may ask for your permission to access your content and information as well as content and information that others have shared with you. We require applications to respect your privacy, and your agreement with that application will control how the application can use, store, and transfer that content and information. Okay, interesting. We- I'm not finished. Sorry, don't cross the computer. You got that right. Facebook users provide their real names and information, and we need your help to keep it that way. Here are some commitments you make to us relating to registering and maintaining the security of your account. 1. You will not provide any false personal information on Facebook, or create an account for anyone other than yourself without permission. 2. You will not create more than one personal account. 3. If we disable your account, you will not create another one without our permission. 4. You will not use your personal timeline primarily for your own commercial gain, and will use a Facebook page for such purposes. Well, what about all those accounts that we heard about that were fa- rush- Will you, please? Sorry. Our goal is to deliver advertising and other commercial or sponsored content that is valuable to our users and advertisers. In order to help us do that, you agree to the following. 1. You give us permission to use your name, profile picture, content, and information in connection with commercial, sponsored, or related content, such as a brand you like, served or enhanced by us. This means, for example, that you permit a business or other entity to pay us to display your name and or profile picture with your content or information, without any compensation to you. If you have selected a specific audience for your content or information, we will respect your choice when we use it. If you are under the age of 18, you represent the parent or legal guardian also agrees to this section on your behalf. This language is included pursuant to a court-approved legal settlement. 2. 
We do not give your content or information to advertisers without your consent. 3. You understand that we may not always identify paid services and communications as such. It was, it was sounding so nice until that last... The more you interrupt, the longer this takes. I understand. Go ahead, go ahead. We collect the content and other information you provide when you use our services, including when you sign up for an account, create or share, and message or communicate with others. We also collect information about how you use our services, such as the types of content you view or engage with, or the frequency and duration of your activities. We also collect content and information that other people provide when they use our services, including information about you, such as when they share a photo of you, send a message to you, or upload sync or import your contact information. We collect information about the people and groups you are connected to and how you interact with them, such as the people you communicate with the most or the groups you like to share with. We also collect contact information you provide if you upload Sync or import this information, such as an address book from a device. I'm getting the impression they really are interested in me. Not a big fan of impressions. I was... We collect information when you visit or use third-party websites and apps that use our services, like when they offer our like button or Facebook login, or use our measurement and advertising services. This includes information about the websites and apps you visit, your use of our services on those websites and apps, as well as information the developer or publisher of the app or website provides to you or us. We receive information about you and your activities on and off Facebook from third-party partners such as information from a partner when we jointly offer services, or from an advertiser about your experiences or interactions with them. I know, uh, you're going to get ticked off at me, but uh, this is starting to sound really creepy. As I think I've heard you say, I don't write them, I, I just, just read them. them. Mm-hmm. We are able to deliver our services, personalized content, and make suggestions for you by using this information to understand how you use and interact with our services and the people or things you're connected to and interested in on and off our services. We use the information we have to improve our advertising and measurement systems so we can show you relevant ads on and off our services and measure the effectiveness and reach of ads and services. When you use third-party apps, websites or other services that use or are integrated with our services, they may receive information about what you post or share. In addition, when you download or use such third-party services, they can access your public profile, which includes your username or user ID, your age range and country language, your list of friends, 
as well as any information that you share with them. Date of last revision, September 29th, 2016. Why, that was during the election year. Ralph the Talking Computer reading Facebook's Terms of Service. Um, it all sounds so good to me, Ralph. I can't wait to sign up for my own Facebook account. Your mock sincerity disgusts me and fools no one. But thanks for having me on, Thank Harry. you. Thank you, Ralph the Talking Computer, and the show continues.
Around news of microplastics, heavy use of makeup has made Britain among the worst plastic polluters in Europe, according to a new study by the World Wildlife Fund. UK uses more plastic cotton buds, more plastic than cotton apparently, 13.2 billion items a year than any other European nation, and the second biggest user of what they call crisp packets, which are plastic packaging for uh, snacks, getting through $8.3 billion in 2018. We're barely through 2018. I don't know about that. Altogether, Britain uses the fifth highest number of single-use plastic items per person with relative prosperity and consequent use of makeup believed to be behind the high use of cotton buds, which are used to remove makeup. The report also found U.K. consumers could be throwing away a third more disposable drinks cups by 2030 without action to curb plastic waste. Overall, the amount of plastic waste the country produces is set to rise, this is according to The Telegraph, which is a British newspaper, by a fifth the, by the end of next decade, with a 34% rise in crisp packets, 41% more plastic straws, 9% more drinks bottles. The report also warned... While plastic waste would rise dramatically without action, recycling waste rates for plastic would increase more slowly. And the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, probably the uh, site of next Christmas's big toys, the Garbage Patch dolls, it's received a lot of attention, but for all the media coverage, researchers still didn't know a lot about it until now. But National Geographic reports a new study takes a closer look at the trash and the results suggest it's a bit different than we imagined. The patch contains about 79,000 metric tons of trash, four to 16 times larger than previously estimated. But it's made up of a surprisingly large percentage of sizable debris and it's collecting incredibly fast. The patch doesn't contain any land per se. It's solidified in the popular imagination. But the idea of a continent of trash is far-fetched. In a 2016 article debunking the myth, Daniel Engbert Slate described the patch as a soup of trillions of pieces of microplastics. But the latest research suggests it's made up of more than just tiny bits. A team of oceanographers commissioned by the conservation group Ocean Cleanup undertook a comprehensive study of the patch. So they used 30 boats that simultaneously surveyed the patch over the course of a summer supplemented by two aircraft team found the patch spans an area three times the size of France, Trois France, containing 1.8 trillion pieces of mostly plastic debris, the equivalent to the weight of 500 jumbo jets, but the large pieces of plastic made up 92% of that mass. Microplastics accounted for only 8%. Come on, microplastics, let's catch up.
ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over this same audio device of choice whenever you want it or whenever it's broadcast. Your choice or their choice. And it would be just like John Bolton shaving that mustache if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A typical show shout Powell to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program a playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts for Easter. Let the bunnies wear them. All at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. A reminder for our friends in New Orleans if you got nothing better to do, April 14th, Derek Smalls, formerly of the band, formerly known as Spinal Tap, with the Louisiana Philharmonic at the Sanger Theater in lukewarm water live. I have no idea how you would get tickets for that. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.